0: My dad died. I miss my friends because of...
1: I don't know how to tell my friends that.
0: I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my class? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is The Morning Meeting. Today's guest is Eric Kusan. He is the founder of a nonprofit called We're All a Little Crazy, the Global Mental Health Alliance. He's a really interesting guy. I'm very excited to talk to him. He actually worked in the NBA and the NHL, but suffered from a debilitating mental health crisis that took probably two and a half years of failed treatment modalities before he was able to learn some healing practices that enabled him To dig out of his abyss before launching we're all a little crazy in 2017. His message is really about mental health. A common topic for him is that five out of five people have mental health and therefore mental illness. So we talk about that and we talk about how college athletes can be part of the solution to better mental health on college campuses. Eric Kusin, thank you so much for coming to the Morning Meeting Podcast. We're really excited to have you today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) Why don't you just tell us to start a little bit about you and what got you started in this space and a little bit about we're all a little bit
1: crazy. Yeah, I (laughs) joked with you before that a little bit is hard for me because, you know, my story is basically laying in a bed for two and a half years dysfunctional. And when your brain does that, I think when you come out of that cocoon that you've been in, <laughs> you can't shut your mouth, right? Uh, it's almost the opposite effect. Like your, your neurons have connected in a new way. Now I'll try to give you the cliff notes. I, I was a professional sports executive for 15 years, NBA and NHL, um, was down in Florida with the Florida Panthers, uh chief revenue officer down there, just taking the position with a new ownership group coming in, and six months in my tenure there, uh, my brain and my body hit a brick wall like I had never seen before. And um, the, you know, the the what was I guess shared with me was to go back to New York, where the top doctors in the world are for this Harvard, Columbia, Cornell. Essentially, go on a path towards healing, right? And and when healing, I didn't really know at the time was that from. A brain tumor? Was it from a traumatic brain injury that I had from playing sports growing up? Was it this thing called mental health? And, you know, it was 2015 that this happened to me. So if we think people aren't talking about it now, six years ago, they certainly weren't talking about it. And in sports, absolutely not talking about it. And so I went the allopathic route, which is traditional medicine. And these doctors, you know, tops in the world, tried over 50 different psychotropic drug combinations on me. Ultimately, what was called TMS therapy, transcranial magnetic stimulation, where they shoot electromagnetic waves into your brain, hoping to wake up the neurons and getting them firing again. And then ultimately went inpatient to a psych ward where a doctor um, said something to me that's part of the reason why I decided to start an organization. Eric, you've tried everything there is. Your last resort is to do shock therapy. Hearing last resort from a doctor is nothing I ever want any patient to ever hear again again. And for me at the time, this was now 2017, because it's two and a half years later, um, still no one was talking. So I couldn't call up a friend and be like, hey, when you were offered shock therapy, what did you do? Right. So without any better judgment, I, I, you know, went and got 12 sessions inpatient over five weeks, my, my you know, put under general anesthesia, and my brain shocked into seizure, same type of idea, hoping that the neurons are woken up and that my brain starts working again. And, and none of that worked. I end up meeting a integrative psychologist, um, a number of weeks after leaving the hospital, who practices, um, you know, a different form of medicine. Every doctor I'd seen up until that point, the line of questioning always started with, Eric, what are your symptoms? Cognitive, you know, malaise and, you know, inability to get out of bed in the morning and can't think straight, can't put sense together. And then I would get a diagnosis, ADD, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, you know, melancholic depression, anodonic depression. And every doctor in this space, and I'm obviously speaking with a broad brush, is not every single doctor, but the majority of doctors, they learn you know, symptoms in a textbook, and then based on you telling them your symptoms, they can find something because the brain is complicated. There's so many ways to assign labels. And once those labels were assigned to me, I was then assigned a medication that that explains why I tried 50 different ones. And I thought I was working my ass off during that time. Well, this doctor treated very differently. She just said, Eric, I want to get to know you tell me about yourself, right? And when you're asked that question, this was just very broad and open. And so I just started earliest memories, you know, seven, eight years old. And what ended up rolling out of me because I had never told the story chronologically in this way is I'm the middle of three boys. And my older brother from the time I was eight years old, he breaks his femur bone in a sporting accident and put a body cast for a year homeschooled a month later gets diagnosed with ALL children's form of leukemia. So five years of chemo and radiation in the late eighties, you could imagine back then how scary that was because there weren't as many effective uh, chemo treatments cancer treatments but miraculously 5 years in goes into remission a month later he's in a jeep wrangler with his friends open top open back car loses control he flies out of the back lands on his head cracks his head open loses partial vision in his eyes and ICU for a month healing does heal from that goes to college is feeling a pain in his knee they do all the testing they determine that his cancer's come back Um, from childhood same one that he had a number of years ago have to give him a stronger chemo regimen it's doing a great job of knocking the cancerous cells out but it's doing a number on his healthy cells knocks out his you know healthy cells unfortunately in enough of a way that his body goes into what's called septic shock it's 105 fever organs attacking themselves falls into a coma we don't know if he's going to wake from the coma and the, and the neurologist can't tell us if he's going to have any brain activity if he does wake, but miraculously wakes after three months of being in a coma. Funny part of the story asks if the Yankees won the World Series when he wakes. His kidneys fail from the rigor of the septic shock. He has to go on dialysis. We all get tested in our family to see who's the closest donor match. My father is, donates a kidney to him. That's all successful. I get my job at the NBA league office thinking blank slate childhood over. And three of my close friends, 22 and 23 years old, pass away unexpectedly of heart conditions, just back to back to back in that year. You know, what she shared with me when I shared that story was, you know, Eric, you're living on this bedrock of trauma as a child. What else happened to you as a child that impacted your mental health that you want to tell me about? Now, I'm 35 in her office. These things happened to me between the ages of eight and 23. Until you're explained these things, you don't realize that you've been laying in bed for two and a half years because of the cumulative buildup of this stuff. Right. right. And so I end up, you know, I, I heal. We'll spend a lot of time talking about it through breathing practices, and yoga, and meditation and, and trying all these different types of modalities. End up sharing my story on all places of LinkedIn because I wasn't a social media person. And it takes 35 minutes to read my story in a lot greater detail than I just share with you here. Mm. And meanwhile, it gets read 150,000 times in in three days. And I had over 400 calls come in from as far as China. What I realized on, on taking those calls and tracking the responses in an Excel spreadsheet was... No one was sharing a disorder label with me. No one was saying, "Eric, I have PTSD," or "I as well," or "I have bipolar," except for the PTSD in this way. Instead, everyone was sharing challenging life events they'd been through, so losing a child to SIDS, um, a terrible divorce that they still haven't gotten over. And that realization to me made me understand that the common thread that ties the human experience together is not disorder. It's not labels. It's not this thing called mental illness. It's this thing called challenging life events, right? And we all have them at different points in our lives. And if they're cumulative... And we don't know what to do about them the same way that we know when we put weight on, we're supposed to go to the gym and run or eat better, and we lose that weight or we start to remove that plaque from our arteries. No one tells us how to do that with our mental health. I went to the largest nonprofit websites in our country, and then I'll land the plane on this part of it. I just start noticing. These, these organizations that I think are well-intentioned, if I take out the bias of how pharma might be involved in these messages, but in trying to explain to us what mental health is, there's three main story threads on all these websites that are consistent that I noticed in 2017. And that, by the way, in 2021, the messages are still exactly the same. And those three were, the first was one in five people being mentally ill. What that does is they're trying to show that that's a lot of people. That's 20% of people you should consider your mental health. But what it is, is it's a green light to 80% of the population, four and five people to say, I'm not in that mentally ill category. This topic's not for me. right? So immediately, were you know disregarding people and, and and people aren't paying attention second thing is all the campaigns were mirror images of each other they were an action word followed by stigma so stop the stigma stomp the stigma break the stigma race the stigma the term stigma means there's a group of people human beings forming opinions and judgments about other groups of people that's not a rallying cry to bring people together that's a rallying cry to shoot across the bow at other people and say, you're the problem. You need to stop and stop doing what you're doing. We're the ones who are being impacted. We're the victims. You need to be nicer to us. That's not how you bring people together, right? Like there, there's enough social change topics we want to get to in society that shows that when you tell people they're doing things the wrong way, they don't listen. When you start to talk about your commonalities, that's what makes them listen. And then the third thing was the way in which celebrities started sharing stories is these websites were linking because they were excited that Britney Spears, she's part of our one in five group. She's got depression. Lindsay Lohan, she's part of our one in five group. She's got anxiety. And then they link to an us weekly or people magazine article and it'd be like, yeah, Britney Spears has depression and she shaves her head. Lindsay Lohan has anxiety and she dresses like a hot mess. You look at those three now that I just described, one in five people, let's stop stigmatizing them. And the them looks like people who shave their heads, run off basketball courts and panic attacks. And in the case of Kanye West, say crazy things about their family and think they have a chance of winning the presidency. No wonder why most people are not, you know, lining up at an auditorium and going, hey, let me voluntarily come to this thing called a mental health event and hear more about what you have to talk. You know, our campaign, you called it out like we're all a little crazy, crazy in quotes And then within that, our main message that we, you know, kind of like how Nike has just do it, our message is same here, which is an American sign language sign, which everyone in the world can say it to each other, as in, Mandy, you and I were the same. And I don't have to know anything about you other than that you're a human being. And I know we're the same because as human beings, we both have faced challenges. I could say that one-to-one, or I can say that one-to-three thousand, if I'm speaking to a big group that breaks down this topic of stigma and this concept of stigma way quicker than anything that relates to action word followed by stigma ever will because it's talking about the commonalities of what we all face so Mm -hmm. i'll I'll stop there because i know you just want to just like the story piece of it but um that's at least the 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 three years of my life of craziness that then led to kind of the the work that i've been doing now
0: that's incredible um i mean incredible in that it hasn't been that long since this happened and you've really created such an incredible movement. You know, I follow you and I uh, try to stay abreast of what you are doing. I've noticed that you spend a lot of your energy, and I guess maybe this comes because you worked in the field of college athletes. Why, Why college athletes? What is it about them that either you felt like they needed
1: the support or you felt like they were a- no it's a good question look i mean my background is in sports right i was a college athlete myself so there's probably a commonality there the concept of same here is about 5 and 5 instead of 1 and 5 right so i'm i'm being a little bit misleading if i'm focusing so much on college athletes specifically right and and, and programmatically i mean what we put on social media is oftentimes the people who have the larger platforms where people who usually play high level college sports or, you know, now playing pros and did play college sports before a lot of our programming is in, you know, K through 12 is with first responders, is in offices, is in sports teams and leagues on the executive side of things. So we, 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 we try not to make that the main focus, but I think what you may have noticed, which hopefully helps understand why that area is so helpful In painting this bigger picture for everyone else is college athletes go through transition periods more uh, at an earlier age and more frequently than most okay so what do i mean by that right they oftentimes they're trying out for the olympics high level right or they're trying to make a professional league right so most of us right let's take college athletes out of it for a second We're only beginning our career and then are going to work for 45 years in accounting, finance, as a doctor, as a teacher, whatever we're doing. And we have from the time we're 22 until we're 65 to think about transition. As an athlete, you don't have that luxury because you're either going to make the Olympic team or you're not. And you've been training your entire life for it. You're either going to make the professional team or you're not. And you've been training your entire life for it if you don't make the the professional team here in the States, you're going to try and make one overseas or you're not, or or maybe you are going to make it, but you have to make the decision of, do I really want to live in another country when this is the only country I've known for so long, right? Then you're dealing with disappointment more frequently than most, right? Because what's in front of you is a game. Well, how often in everyday life, like is exactly what you do measured and you given a scorecard on it, right? So like as a college athlete, it's like, This is how many goals you scored. This is how many assists you had. This is how much time you had on the field, on the court, on the ice, right? These transition periods, which is a big part of what trauma is, is a microcosm of the bigger picture of what people deal with in life, right? And you know, a lot of what you deal with, loss, I'll give you kind of like another uh, analogy to loss is when the pandemic happened, a lot of these college athletes, even high school athletes, they didn't understand why they were feeling what they felt when their sport got taken away from them. That's a traumatic loss. Really? Even though the sport might come back a year later, even though they might get that year of eligibility back, what happens is when you pictured something was going to be one way, having a certain person in your life, and then that gets taken away from you, and that person is now no longer in your life, what, what the loss is is from what you were envisioning, oh, that person's going to walk me down the aisle. That person's going to be there for my grandkid, whatever it is. Now that gets taken away because something happens. Well, when you're an athlete and your mind is thinking, when I do this on the court field or the ice next season, right? And then all of a sudden that's taken away. Or in the cases, severe cases, I say severe, more, more, um, I guess, long-lasting cases where a person lost the year of eligibility and and, or needed to go right to work. They go from, oh, I had three years of playing to now I'm never going to play the sport ever again after thinking I was going to get that senior year. That's a big loss that they have to deal with. Right. So hopefully that helps explain why the, the focus on athletes is often there is because I think their stories help tell a picture that or, or paint a picture for so many people that they can relate to and say, it's not exactly what you went through, but it's enough. And it happened to you at an earlier time in your life that I can relate. I
0: always say like you, you explained it perfectly. Like those are losses. And when we experience loss, we have feelings and those feelings are called grief. We all have, we've. I mean, every one of us has has experienced grief over the past, you know, year and a half due to the pandemic. But most of us have experienced it, plenty of other times as well. Um, I sort of, my, my, I have a son who's an athlete in college as well. Many times you think of, like, sports as a protective factor for mental health, right? Like, it's a good thing to exercise and the team and all of the support that you get from being on a team. But then there's also this incredible amount of pressure. I wonder, and maybe, you know, um, about like, how do we support college athletes, um, and their mental health on a, on a campus? What are some
1: well, So, you know, let's take division one as an example. There's still of all the division one campuses around the country. There's only 50 schools that have a sports psychologist, that works in the athletic department, right? So that's an issue. Now the the schools that have it, it's great. And you take a school like University of Southern California, they have six sports psychologists. Most uh, uh, division one organizations only have one sports psychologist, but let's take those out of the equation for uh, for a second. Mm -hmm. And you talked about like, we think of sports as this positive thing. Okay, but think about all the, the interpersonal interactions that happen between Athlete and coach, player and you know, peer, other player on the team, right? Like, why is coach not giving me a lot of playing time? Why don't they understand that I also have to study when I all, you know, even though I have to do film session, right? So there's there's stuff that we have to balance as a student athlete that oftentimes the traditional student doesn't have to balance as much, right? Like where it's more about balancing social life, which is which is more kind of on your own time to be able to do that. When you're a college athlete, it's almost like a job on campus in addition to what you have to do, um, you know, as, as a student. And I'm so at this point, too, which is also an additional stressor for some people. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and and so on the campuses where there's not those 50 that understand sports specifically, you're going to the campus Counseling center. Right. So, uh, th- and this is the interaction that we see happen all the time. I'm not calling anything out. I'm not calling out any one specific campus. This is just reality. Student athlete has a run in with the coach and is dealing with their own stuff at home. Parents are getting divorced. Right. Hasn't a, having a breakup with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They go to the, ca- uh, the college, uh, ca- counseling center. That's not sports specific. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the counselor says, well, what is the coach saying to you? Give me, give me more of the background. Oh, he told me that, you know, I came here on scholarship and, you know, here's my responsibilities and here's what I need to do to work hard again. That coach can't say that to you. You have to manage yourself. Oh, okay. So the player takes that and goes back to the coach and either says that to the assistant coach or their captain or the, and then the coach comes back and says, who's telling you that you are, you're a scholarship athlete. You got these responsibilities, right? It's an education process of bringing together The counseling centers and we do them and we call them same here sit downs and we bring the entire you know athlete population together where we have the coaches there the athletic directors there the athletes themselves and then we bring the mental health professionals from campus onto stage so to speak with us and the reason we do that is because we want to position them as personal trainers for their brain the way that they have personal trainers in the gym Mm -hmm. because without that and I see this throughout all sports, athletes think of mental health professionals as the doctor that's going to psychoanalyze me as opposed to the person who's just there to get my brain in better shape, right? right. Like the um, trainer. And, you know, we call it gym for the brain, right? And, and it, once you realize that and you're like, wait a second, okay, uh, when I sit in the room and I get stim on my knee and ice on my knee, why is it any different to go into that door and work on this There's no shame in doing it, but I think society, this matrix that we live in, that's positioned like weakness, weakness, weakness. When we go and talk to someone, there's this fear of are people going to judge me when I go and I do something and uh, when I go and talk to someone. And so that's, you know, it's an education process. That's really all it is, because what we know about therapy is when done the right way, it's nothing different than just proactively working on yourself and giving yourself more space in these things that we have that uh, that 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 are, are part of the way that we can optimally function.
0: And I feel like I hear so often that you know sports is it's just as mental as it is physical, right? If we're not working on our mental health, we're like missing half of.
1: But the, the problem here's the problem, right? Like and 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 it's it's the it's the it's the verbiage that's that's used. And I'll even throw a company like Calm, which is such a big company, under the bus a little bit in this. Calm's largest endorser right now is LeBron James, right? Well, if you want endorsers, how many bigger endorsers are there than LeBron James? Like maybe Lady Gaga, I don't know. <laughs> but what that did in having LeBron be the champion for what they do is now the the concentration became mental performance, right? So you start to think about things like, oh, we're going to use one of those drills where the green and the red dots start blinking. We have to touch each one with our hands because our hand-eye coordination gets better and we're able to see our field of vision. Or we're going to do visualization about thinking about hitting that free throw. These things are all important, but so too is the bag of stuff that we carry from our past because that – impacts neurobiological changes in our body, which also impacts performance. So when we only think about the productive, proactive stuff moving forward, and we're not dealing with the stuff of what we're holding onto from the past, we're not really dealing with helping the whole person and productivity suffers, right? And, And so a lot of what we do when we go on college campuses is explaining that you know, working on the mental health of an individual is not just mental performance, even though that sounds cooler and easier to sell for people, call it whatever you want at the beginning. What you have to dive into is peeling away the layers also, not in like a psychoanalyzation type of way, but meditations, yogas, breathing practices to create greater space because so much of that space has been taken up by the stuff that we've, we've, we've built up over time in our childhood. Mm
0: -hmm. When I said like, it's a mental game, not just um, a physical game, but yes, you absolutely have to make sure you're taking good care of your mental health, not your mental performance, Performance. really. Um, really interesting. I also thought you said something that was, um, cool that, um, you know, when you bring the counselors up on the stage with you, it really made me think about, and I know, you know, coaches are not going to be psychologists. They don't need necessarily to be a therapist, but they need training too. It's not just about like, you know, where to go for college athletes to get support, but the coaches and the counselors really need to be working together to make sure that they're not sending different messages. And that's feels kind of huge.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and, and look, the generation that we're in right now, which is, you know, the folks who are coaches grew up in the suck it up mentality, right? Right. And a lot of them, especially when you go to some of these campuses where they've already won national championships, the attitude is, what do I need to change for? It doesn't matter that the new wave of students is coming in. I have a way of doing things, and I know this works, right? And so it's meshing, I've got a system, and I know it's successful with, you want it to be more successful? <laughs> you want to look out for, for your athletes. in, in a... So it's this balance when you talk to the coaches of explaining it to them through the lens, not just of health, but of impact on performance as well. Right. You know, look, I, I had many coaches that I love. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not throwing those coaches under the bus in high school and even in college where it was like the best athletes are the ones that, you know, step their toe on every single line when they're doing the runs and never miss a line as they go back and forth and are in it every weight session. And that's part of being an athlete. Yes. is, is, showing up and and being an example and being a leader, but also part of being an athlete is, and being a leader is understanding balance and understanding what's going to make us the healthiest we can be. And so it's, it, there's a, there's, there's no question that it's a challenge when you're dealing with folks who've had, especially the ones who've had success, because their thought is, what do I need to change for? And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this, like, you know, you look at like the Mike Shashevskys of the world, you know, the coach of Duke basketball and and even Greg Popovich in the NBA, you know, with the Spurs, they've had a lot of success for, you know, 20, 30 year span. And most recently, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus who's a Duke fan or Spurs fan, not as much success. Right. And even like Greg Popovich is struggling a little bit right now with the USA team and they're not just dominating and winning. Right. Is. You know, And look, I'm not in the room. I, was, I did work with Popovich when I was with the NBA, so I saw a little of his tactics, but it hasn't been recent, is this old school mentality of how things are run and we do things this way and this is the Duke way, right? Whatever it is, that's got to change a lot. As society changes and as young athletes start to see the world differently than what we did growing up, as leaders, we have to take notice of that and say, "Hmm, there's something to this." If anyone wants to watch something that was really, really impactful to me, it was Giannis, the guy who won um, from the Milwaukee Bucks, six foot eleven guy from Greece, and it, it was beautiful the way that he said it because English is a second language. And after uh, uh, he won, he won the title uh, last week. He said, "You know, usually in this space of mental health, we say." oh, anxiety is focusing on fear of the future and depression is holding on to the past. He didn't say that at all. He, I'm going to botch what he said, but it was something to the effect of like, when, when we talk about what we've done previously, that's ego. Oh, I accomplished this, I accomplished that. And when we talk about what we're going to do to someone uh, moving forward in a game upcoming, that's pride. Oh, I'm going to score 30 points in that person. He said, to be the best you can be, you got to drop ego and you got to drop pride and you got to play in that moment as if you've never played against that person or that team before and give it your all in that moment, regardless of how much you've accomplished. And that was awesome to hear. Right. It was like a new take on mental performance, mental health, kind of whatever you want to call the combination of those two things. But, you know, I think there's a new wave of athlete who's who's having a different understanding and wants to have the mental game be part of the, the overall success that they're having.
0: And I do think, you know, I mean, I I want to pay attention to all college students. They all need support and everybody's got something, right? And we're all all five out of five. But the athletes, they are sort of in this position of prominence and people look up to them and um, they could, and I'm sure some do, um, have this amazing opportunity that they can take advantage of to show vulnerability, to show that, you know, things affect them. Um, and I think sometimes that's the message that they don't hear. They hear this message of you
1: have to look strong. And well, there's two there's two issues of, of of the messages they hear. One is you have to look strong, right? That's been a consistent message that they've heard for a long time. And then fear of things like because they're in a competitive space, someone might take my position if they're able to rile me up because they know I'm dealing with this and that I'm going to lose playing time, right? So that that that's one. The other issue. I believe in this space, and obviously this is a controversial take, but I don't mind saying it, is the professional athletes in the majority with the largest platforms who have spoken up and we're all applauding them. We're like, great, more people are talking now. This is awesome. Question is, how are they talking? And most of what I hear from the largest people with the largest platforms is, my name is this, I have this disorder, and so I use this to get better. It's an endorsement deal. All that does is further perpetuate the idea that that athlete lives in the one in five. You said the magic word, which is vulnerability. We get a lot more from an athlete saying, growing up, my relationship with my mom wasn't that great. And that hurts me right now that we're not that close. That might not, you know, be what the advertiser wants when you're trying to sell, you know, a pill Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that they're, 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 they're going to them for, but that's, what's relatable to people. And that's what opens up this topic of what mental health is to more people. So, you know, where athletes, I think are struggling right now is even the people who are ahead of the curve, quote unquote, in being more open question is how are they being open when it's just labels and erratic behaviors? I don't Mm -hmm. think that helps us.
0: And also, I agree. I think there's a lot of, a lot of interviews with the athletes and things that, well, how did you get through it? Well, this is how I got through it, but we're not talking to them while they're trying to figure it all out. You know, like right now it's just, I'm in the muck. It sucks. And right usually, now. And
1: usually their answer, even if they, you know, if they have some kind of detailed answer on it, it's, I use talk space and I was able to talk to people. So they're either in the endorsement of it, or they say things that are very athlete cliche esque of like, you know, I needed to have a lot of faith and really buckle down and and work hard on being in the moment. I mean, someone who's struggling and is on their bed, that's not helpful, right? Like you need X's and O's of here were the modalities that I did. Here's why they work for me. Here's here's what I got out of them. Here's the progress of how I saw it happen over time. That's the type of vulnerability and detail that we need. And again, that's not getting shared.
0: So what do you think about like currently, like, Athletes that are, you know, that they are coming out and talking about the mental health, and like athletes that don't want to do interviews with the press and stepping away from some sports at this point because they're, you know, they they are saying like, I'm not doing well and I need to step away.
1: Yeah, the, the, you know, like you take your the example that you're giving is Naomi Osaka, who you know couldn't do press during Roland Garros, which is the French Open. The media still doesn't understand this topic. So the problem is the people who are reporting on what's happening are getting it all wrong. So it's great that Naomi Osaka is raising the volume on what needs to be discussed, which if I'm a reporter and I'm responsible in this space, I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna say, oh, this is interesting. A player who can play in front of 20,000 people and millions on TV And that doesn't raise their level of anxiety. But when it's in front of three reporters who are asking them questions, that does cause anxiety. Oh, that's kind of similar to the person who can go to school, can function in school. But then when they're put in a room to talk with friends, just one-on-one or one-on-three, they get a little this thing called social anxiety and that's different. Oh, wow, I can see how those things transfer across. That should be the narrative. And instead, the narrative are things like, Oh, what could be so like, you know, if they're able to play this way, why that's what their responsibility is. They should be able to play that way. You take the Richard sermon situation, which was the the NFL cornerback recently, whose wife was on a nine one one call as he was charging at his father-in-law's house. Mm -hmm. And people see that behavior. And my immediate reaction when I saw that behavior was how many neighbors over the course of my life have I seen yell at each other in that same exact way. Like that's life. That's what interpersonal relationships are. And yet you look at the media and they see those clips and they're like, look, a result of traumatic brain injury and and CTE. Look, that's the manic phase of bipolar, right? They have no idea what he's going through. No idea what the background of the family interpersonal relationships are. That's what mental health is. And they're just putting a mental illness diagnosis and label on it. And what that does is it confuses it for everyone else. Because again, back to the erratic behaviors, well, I don't wanna be seen as that. So we're not gonna talk about my mental health because if anyone sees me charging at a door, I'm not employable anymore. I can't get the next job. I want, you know, all yeah. those things down the road. So it, it, it it's great that more, more athletes are speaking up, but we have to get the media to catch up and understanding the right way to talk about these things or we're, again, we're just perpetuating the the same misnomers over and over again.
0: Um, I sort of, like, I've been watching all of this happening, right? All of these athletes sort of, um, Naomi and, and others, uh, and I've been struggling with, like, is this a good thing or not? Um, and I think there's a little bit of both, so.
1: Well, the, look, you take sports and take mental health out of it. I hope I'm not saying anything too controversial here. I think our media is in the business of splitting us up and putting us into different categories because when we're in different categories we get emotional when we get emotional we want to consume more we want to watch more we want to buy more right so it behooves them to continue to not get this right and tell the same narrative over and over again and then look at the freak show that we're watching who's 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 charging at the door of his in-law they like that you know And, and and look you know I'm obviously I'm not in the room with, you know, the, the, the TV executives to say that. But you see the consistency enough across sports, politics, <laughs> social yeah. issues. The, the thread is there. Right. And so that's why advocacy work is so important. That's why, you know, we have these things called social media, albeit, you know, they suppress the hell out of us because they don't want the messages out there. But we got to hold hands as advocates and keep through podcasts like this, through social posts, setting the record straight of what mental health is um, so that people better understand it. And every person you teach that they have the ability to then teach two more people and then four more people. And and it's exponential from there. So I think the roles that we all play in terms of, you know, almost countering what what we're seeing in the media is so important.
0: I agree. I do. I, I describe mental health sort of Um, typically like a spectrum, like we all have health to some degree, right? So your health may be better than mine in general. Maybe today mine's better than yours. Tomorrow I get a cold. I'm not as healthy as I was yesterday. The next day I recover from that cold. I'm doing better. I can have underlying illnesses, who knows, whatever. And our mental health is sort of the same way, right? So it's just up and down and we can have good days and bad days and things that pop up for us. And all of us have that. So we all have mental health and we all have mental illness. It's just what it is.
1: You know, it's an interesting analogy to use with that is, you know, when I, when I've used the continuum example for people, cause that's what, you know, the basis the foundation of what Seem here is about. People will say, well, but Eric, no, no, no. Someone either has cancer or they don't have cancer, just like they have bipolar. They don't have bipolar. And I said, well, actually, everyone's got cancerous cells in their body. (laughs) You know, like I don't mean obviously as someone whose brother suffered twice with cancer. I don't mean that in a joking way. What I mean by I'm laughing because of the irony of it, of What cancer is, is it's the buildup of those cancer cells because our immune system hasn't been able to find them, you know, get rid of them, right? Um, And and, then they accumulate over time. So this continuum idea that you could talk about that with cancer, you could talk about that if you and I are two and three years old, we're walking down the street and we turn our ankle, that ligament is never going to be the same again. And then throughout the course of our life, every time we're playing a sport or we're walking down the street and we trip again. And that ankle turns again. Guess what? With the susceptibility towards it being more stretched out is still there. That's what health is. Health is an ongoing fight against you know the factors in life that impact us. Absolutely. And it, 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 that's the only way we'll ever come together on this is realizing that it's all of us facing those factors
0: together. Absolutely. Yeah. So, how do people find you if they're interested in having you come to their campus, talk to them, learn more from you? How should they get connected with you?
1: Thanks for asking. So it's um the website, just to find more information generally, is samehereglobal.org. So S-A-M-E-H-E-R-E and then global.org. My email address is easy. It's eric with a C at samehereglobal.org. And then all of our social media channels are what I have up on the screen here, which is at samehere underscore global. So that's the only difference with the social channels is that there's an underscore before global, but yeah. Well, you know, and I, you know, as you know, with DMs and stuff like that, I, I like interacting with people. I don't mind when people write at two in the morning and they're going through something and I'm not a therapist. I have to say that, you know, always as the disclaimer, but I'm a peer to peer, you know, helper. I don't even like the term coach. Um, I'm a peer to peer helper, not in like a monetary way and like a reach out if I can help you in any way and point you in the right direction. Just because when you've been through as much shit as I went through, I don't mean that as a badge of honor. I mean that as I just look back and like, I have tried every frigging treatment there is <laughs> like I, I, you know, I, I can help people navigate with what they're going through, what I think might help them again mm-hmm. from a peer to peer standpoint. So you
0: certainly provide that validation and normalization that we've all been through it. Yeah, so. yeah. Thank you. I, uh, I do hope people reach out to you. You've been such a great um, friend and colleague for me. And I I, um, I encourage people to reach out to you too. It was great having you on the show today, Eric. Thank you so much for being a guest on The Morning Meeting. Next week, we're talking with Annie Tolkien. She's the founder and director of Accessible College, as well as an author and public speaker. She's an expert in the area of college prep and transition for students with physical disabilities and health conditions and she supports students and families across the country. Her work is really interesting and we're going to talk a lot about how to prepare for all different sorts of transitions and how to access college in a way that feels supportive for students with disabilities, students that are grieving, um, all sorts of stuff. So I hope you join us for that next week. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.